We honor and acknowledge that the University of Denver, as well as all of us here today, that we are on the traditional territories and ancestral homelands of the Cheyenne, Arapaho, and Ute tribes. We recognize that the indigenous peoples as the original stewards of this land and all the relatives within. Let us acknowledge also the painful history of genocide and forced removal from this territory. We respect the diverse indigenous communities whom are still connected to this land on which we gather. And with that said, I'd like to turn it to my colleague here, Taylor. The pioneer nickname has long represented the violent and the colonial history of the westward expansion, settler colonialism, oppression, and genocide. Pioneer also represents the history that DU was a part of. Founder of the university, John Evans, was responsible for the Sand Creek Massacre in 1864, the same year that DU was founded. A pioneer is not an explorer or a trailblazer, but rather a force of destruction and eraser. Pioneers killed indigenous people and stole their land. and holding his institution accountable. I know that students before me have fought for the removal of the pioneer and I really wish that they could be here to see all of this because this is really amazing to witness right now. And it is time that DU to be held accountable and to remove the pioneer nickname once and for all. We will not take no for an answer. We will no longer be silent. As indigenous students, we are not going anywhere and we do belong here. And to the DU administration, you're either with us or against us. And one more last thing, no more pioneers! Welcome back to another episode of the Rage Podcast. My name is Karis Fox and I am your current host for this season. If you are a returning listener, then you were probably taken aback by the different intro today. The clip, which I wanted to preface this episode, is from a student-led protest by Righteous Anger Healing Resistance in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and as an attempt to bring attention to their demands, one of which included the removal of the pioneer moniker from the University of Denver. I have yet to formally introduce myself on this podcast Again, my name is Karis Fox. By the time this episode airs, I will have obtained my undergraduate degree from DU. I've worn many hats during my time at DU as a board member of the Black Student Alliance, a member of the Denver Promise Scholars Program, a resident assistant, a community organizer of Righteous Anger Healing Resistance, a member of the Student Accountability Board, and I'm the proud creator of the Remember X Project, mentored by Daniel Kim. The Remember X Project is a testimony of student demands and resilience in the face of exclusion, hate, and oppression at the University of Denver. Our research builds institutional knowledge to emphasize the importance of inclusion, diversity, and equity in creating a safe learning environment for all students and community members. 
The Remember X project is the product of DU undergraduate and graduate students, faculty, staff, and the guidance of allies, which will, for their safety, remain anonymous. To view the Remember X project, please find the appropriate link in the description box below. For a full look at my bio and the rest of our speakers' bios, please visit theragepodcast.com and click on this episode. I've had the honor to work with brilliant minds of students, faculty, and staff. As I've worn many hats, I've gotten to see behind the curtain, which has revealed ways in which some of the systems and continued behaviors at DU are actively harming students of marginalized identities. When students do embark on activism, be it social media, websites, protests, or forums, we are often insincerely celebrated for our activist efforts, yet very few are aware of the toll it takes on the mental, physical, and psychological well-being of the students. Students have been stalked, doxxed, and threatened for their advocacy, which remains unbeknownst to most people. I'm hoping to change that. Legacy, the series which you are listening to now, has three goals. One, to center decolonization and inform the DU community of DU's colonial roots and perpetuations of racism, hate, and discrimination. Two, to memorialize resilience and brilliance of student activists. And three, to alert the DU community to the harms that are being continually perpetrated against student activists and students at the University of Denver. I am starting this series with the decolonization episode because, at a foundational level, the activism at DU has been centered on forcing DU to acknowledge and confront its colonial roots and perpetuation of colonialism and racism. Many who come to DU are unfamiliar with the history of the Sand Creek Massacre and John Evans's, DU's founder, culpability for the massacre. This history is imperative to understand the continued demand to remove the pioneer nickname at the University of Denver, and is imperative to understand the continued activist efforts of students throughout the years. In 2013, a committee, the John Evans Study Committee, was established to research the role of University of Denver's founder, John Evans, in the Sand Creek Massacre of 1864. The Sand Creek Massacre occurred on November 28, 1864, the same year as DU's founding. The massacre was orchestrated under the leadership of Colonel John Shivington and resulted in over 230 murdered Cheyenne and Arapaho lives. 150 were women, children, and the elderly. The John Evans Study Committee, after a year-long inquiry, reported that John Evans, DU's founder, was culpable for the massacre. They state, we conclude that John Evans's pattern of neglect of his treaty negotiating duties, his leadership failures, and his reckless decision-making in 1864 combined to clearly demonstrate a significant level of culpability for the Sand Creek Massacre. While not of the same character, Evans's culpability is comparable in degree to that of Cardinal John Shivington, the military commander who personally planned and carried out the massacre, Evans's actions and influence more than those of any other political official in Colorado Territory created the conditions in which the massacre was highly likely. Evans abrogated his duties as superintendent 
fanned the flames of war when he could have dampened them, cultivated an unusually interdependent relationship with the military, and rejected clear opportunities to engage in peaceful negotiations with the native peoples under his jurisdiction. Furthermore, he successfully lobbied the War Department for the deployment of a federalized regiment consisting largely of undertrained, undisciplined, voluntary soldiers who executed the worst of the atrocities during the massacre. The following is from a PBS documentary entitled Colorado Experience, The Sand Creek Massacre. This documentary does a great job in expressing the horrors of the Sand Creek Massacre, as well as the culpability of the use founder, John Evans, in the Sand Creek Massacre. Both Colonel John M. Shevington and John Evans were ambitious. They had a passion for advancement. Evans wanted to be a U.S. Senator. Colonel Shevington, who was a former Methodist preacher, uh, wanted either to become a Brigadier General or um, a representative, U.S. representative uh, for the state of Colorado. And it was those two men and their ambition that led to the uh, horrific Sand Creek Massacre. At sunrise on November 29th, 1864, uh, Colonel John Shivington's command um, begins to arrive near the village of Chief Black Kettle and the other leaders, um, maybe as many as 600 people, um, 130, 140 teepees or lodges camped uh, in a bend of Sand Creek. By sunrise, um, the command has split up. Detachments or companies of men have gone to either side of the valley. Um, Cheyenne people uh, have noticed certainly the approach and have heard the approach of 600 plus horses and men rattling, clanging along. Um, so word spreads quickly throughout the camp. The, the thing to remember about that village is it was a chief's village. There were um, over 20 chiefs in that one village. It was mostly women and children and the elderly. The men that was able to ride a horse and hunt were gone. They go out for days, then they come back with game. They, sometimes they have to go to the Rockies to find it. And they were gone that day. So that took advantage of them. And the villagers of Left Hand, the Arapaho, and Black Kettle, the Cheyenne, um, at first didn't know what to do. They had a flag flying over Black Kettle's uh, lodge. Black Kettle then uh, uh, strung up or put up a white flag that he'd been told to do. Black Kettle was a peace chief that abided by the Army's request. He's the one that had his had the the flag, United States American flag, in front of his camp with the flag, white flag of truce to show that they were living in peace. But that was ignored. They were shot right first, first, first people to be uh, shot. 
people just started dropping around them. Uh, the, the people fled from the village. And then all hell broke loose. Uh, this goes on uh, into the morning. Um, later in the day, the cannons or the howitzers are out of ammunition. Um, so the people are chased by mounted troops uh, crisscrossing the valley, firing from all directions. To me, that's, <laughs> that's really, that's really atrocious to do that. When universally, the white flag meant either surrender or that you were, you were at peace. And he, he killed a lot of uh, old people and babies and women. And there was, there was uh, not that much op opposition. I mean, there, w there was, but the surprise and how well they were, how well the cavalry was armed was too overwhelming for that. To further your understanding of the Sand Creek Massacre, please be sure to check the description box below or visit theragepodcast.com and click on this episode. Links to access this documentary, as well as to read the John Evans report and more information on the Sand Creek Massacre will be available to you on our website. The history of DU is imperative to understand the current demand to change the pioneer moniker at the University of Denver. In 2017, DU Native Student Alliance wrote a letter to DU administration stating, the word pioneer is defined as someone who is the first to explore and settle a new country or region. To indigenous people, the word is associated with European Americans who forcibly colonized indigenous peoples. It represents the violent history of westward expansion, settler colonialism, oppression, genocide, and the systematic violent displacement of native peoples from their lands. Removal of the pioneer nickname has been a continued demand from Native students throughout the years that has, to this day, gone unheard. I sat down with DU alumna Grace Carson and current undergraduate student Taylor Lucero and soon-to-be graduate who have been throughout their time at DU leaders of change to have a discussion about the importance of decolonization at DU and in higher education in general. Many incoming students and DU community members in general are often unfamiliar with the history of the Sand Creek Massacre, as well as John Evans, the founder of DU's culpability in the massacre. I wanted to ask both Taylor Lucero and Grace Carson about how the lack of knowledge regarding the Sand Creek Massacre has impacted them as Native students during their time at the university. The first speaker's voice that you will hear is Grace Carson followed by Taylor Lucero. Going to a school whose whole history and foundation is rooted on genocide and violence against Native people, and then getting there and finding that out, and like, what, what do I do? What does that mean for me? Like, 
am I like a part of this now, like part of this violence? Am I, you know, resisting this violence by being here? Um, how do I reconcile that? Um, and then, you know, not really having, at the time we didn't have a very large native community. Um, it, I think I was one of five students my year. Um, the year after me, there was only one native student. It is getting better. I, I know I'm still connected with native community. So it's getting, it's getting better. I'll give to you that. But at the time, not really feeling like I had any support um, and understanding that and not having any support as a first generation student. Um, I think the year after me was when they first started up the first generation um, DU program. Um, but before that, we didn't really have any knowledge. And also for low income students, um, having no idea. I mean, I was working three jobs. I mean, all through DU, I was working two to four jobs. Um, but like trying to navigate all these like really basic, like, oh, this is what college is like, like these are what classes are like. And then trying to balance uh, also like this really heavy, like this is like what history you're a part of now. And this is what it's like to be a native student in PWI. And then also trying to balance also, how do I pay the remaining $8,000 of my tuition? That um, was just like something that was really difficult for me um, my first year. I wish some of the things that I would have looked more into is I wish I would have done my research about the university specifically. Um, when I came here, I had no idea um, who the founder was and later coming to find out that he was complicit in the genocide of the Cheyenne and Arapaho people here in the state of Colorado. And at the time I had no idea what pioneers meant, the, the unofficial mascot of the University of Denver and how they also too were complicit in the assimilation acts of indigenous people and it was something very shocking to me considering that I just graduated from an all native boarding school in Santa Fe and like I was surrounded by constant native and indigenous communities all my life and then come coming to a predominantly white institution. It really was a huge culture shock um, only because I wasn't sure how I was going to navigate my time here on campus and I think throughout the first year me and a, another group of Native students struggled constantly to try and find our place. And we struggled with our own identities, considering that we were constantly surrounded um, by, you know, non people of color. And we just didn't know how to navigate those spaces, especially in the classrooms when we're being taught about curriculum that we've never heard before. And, you know, it was just very intimidating, honestly. Um, especially with the different microaggressions that we also experienced, which was also traumatizing for, you know, students who may not have been in these bigger spaces before. After discussing the impact of the lack of knowledge regarding the history of the Sand Creek Massacre, I asked Taylor Lucero to describe to me what decolonization looks like in her own words and how better the university can support Native and Indigenous community members. When I think of decolonization and and I think I'm looking more of this in higher education and like at DU. So decolonization of higher education, I would think looks like confronting and challenging the colonizing practices that have been influenced in education in the past and which we are still present today. Um, in other words, it is about reflecting on the effect of colonization 
in higher education and liberating the curriculum and broader university culture from selective narratives. And the ultimate goal of this plan is to provide students with a diverse academic learning environment, especially within academic curriculum and approaches to research within um, indigenous cultures, histories, and I think knowledge is where they should be embedded. Um, along with changes to the curriculum, universities should aim to increase um, indigenous student recruitment and retention and create a space for indigenous focus because I know that a lot of our students and faculty and staff like to participate in research and outreach. And specifically at DU, I've seen this in the new critical race and ethnic studies department that is being created, which is a step towards creating diverse classes for the DU community and, talk, and in which that they're able to talk about race, the injustices, different types of activism, and more so of a non-whitewashed version of history that we were taught in like middle and high school. And at least specifically for me, it wasn't until my sophomore year that I finally got to take courses relevant to native and indigenous issues that were taught by native women. It was a pretty surreal experience considering that I felt that the representation among the native faculty was so small, but now it's starting to grow. And in these classes, students are able to learn about the true history of colonization and genocide of Native and Indigenous people and the issues that we still face today. And we're learning about stereotypes and not how to be complicit in the erasure of Native and Indigenous people. So in that aspect, those are examples of what I'm seeing unfold in front of me. For years, student-led organizations have advocated for the removal of the Pioneer moniker from the University of Denver. The No More Pios movement, which was started by Grace Carson and organized by Native Student Alliance, has been at the forefront of this advocacy. I asked Grace Carson to explain to me exactly what the No More Pios movement is, for those who may be unfamiliar or not DU-affiliated. Yeah, um, so basically, you know, it. it it's a little complex and that's not, it's not complex at all, <laughs> but I mean, like the story of it is a little, so, you know, do you had a mascot, you know, Boone based off Daniel Boone who murdered Indians, like her native people, like that was like what he did. So problematic in and of itself. Uh, do you finally got rid of that mascot? There's still to this day, my alumni is like hatred over getting rid of this racist mascot, but whatever, that's a whole other point. Uh, but they keep the, the nickname, which is the pioneers. Um, so Pioneers is based off of Daniel Boone, which is problematic in and of itself, but Pioneers is also problematic because the whole definition of a pioneer is like a Western, like a West state, like West, it's like a settler, right? Like that's what they do. And what do settlers do? They steal Indian land and kill Indian people, you know? And so, so the name in and of itself is inherently problematic. And, you know, I argue further, not only is just, it's just like a problematic name, it's not about that, right? I mean, like it is, but it, it, it's more than that. It creates and maintains a culture in which violence against native people and people of color, right? Settlers also harmed, you know, enslaved people or people who, you know, people who were enslaved and uh, other people of color, you know, it's not just about native people, it's about, you know, people of color in general. Um, and by keeping that that nickname, we are saying, or do you is saying that they 
you know, want to cultivate a culture in which, you know, students of color can't feel safe here and students of color can't feel welcomed here and students of color don't have a voice here. Um, so it's, it's not just about the name, it's also about the culture that the nickname creates. Also, how could I ever have school pride? How could I, I'm not going to proudly say I'm a pioneer. And so you're excluding a whole group of people who are never going to be able to say that from being able to actually invest and have, feel like they're in community at their school. Um, yeah, and so, so the No More Pios campaign is just like to get rid of that nickname and to increase, you know, a culture that is, you know, a culture of care and a culture of, of welcoming for all students, not just students who were born of settlers. <laughs> so, yeah. In the fall of 2021, student-led group Righteous Anger Healing Resistance held a protest in solidarity with the BLM movement and to draw attention to their demands, one of which advocated for the removal of the pioneer moniker. Despite the outpour of support for the Righteous Anger Healing Resistance protest and in support of their demands, Chancellor Hefner in 2021 officially released a statement affirming the use of the pioneer moniker. Letters of solidarity from numerous departments at the University of Denver and organizations can be found and read at the RememberX website. This protest was held during a time in which the country was beginning to confront the impact of names and mascots. Yet when DU is given the opportunity to be one of the leaders of change, they remain chained to their colonial roots. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, we've, as a, as a group and as a community, we've gone through hardships. I mean, one of them being that Last year, when the Righteous Anger Healing and Resistance Group, also known as RAR, when we sat through a meeting with the chancellor and different members of the board, and we were told that like, yeah, well, we're not changing the pioneer because it's an important part of our university's history. That I would have to say was one of the darkest days that we experienced as a community. I mean, as a student leader, I wanted to be the one to tell my students that like, yeah, like, I'm sorry that we weren't able to change this. And I really went in there very hopeful that this was, that we made a step towards change and that things were gonna be very possible in removing the pioneer once and for all. But once that happened, I just, it was very devastating. And I allowed myself and for our other students to express their emotions about it. At the Remember X project, we have often centered our project around confronting the repeating demands from student organizations throughout the years. These demands include establish a critical race and ethnic studies department, retire the pioneer moniker, create a native studies major and minor, create a mandatory training for incoming students on power, privilege, and oppression, increase hiring of Black, Indigenous, and faculty of color, and provide a student presence on the Board of Trustees. Student activists at the University of Denver dedicate their time to their advocacy efforts, and yet often graduate with the same problems still facing incoming students. It's like, it's one thing to make promises and to make a statement, especially from the university saying like, oh yeah, like we're gonna give them what they want. But in a lot of the times in those conversations, I never hear the win. There's never any solid dates. There's never any follow-ups. There's never any communication. And we're just kind of sitting here like, so what's happening? Because whether we realize it or not, like time is running out. I mean, these are some of the issues that we've been fighting for since I was a freshman. And now that I'm a senior, it's like the, like 
it's like these issues are going to be left in the hands in the, in the hands of the students are going to come after me and whatnot. How does that make you feel? Personally, I believe that the Native Student Alliance after I graduate is in good hands. I have no doubt that they have the strength and the resilience to fight for these issues. Um, but also, I always made it a goal that when I was a freshman, that by the time that I'm a senior, that all of these issues were going to be solved. And unfortunately, some of them aren't. And, you know, in a way, it kind of it's draining because it's like I have to leave this university knowing that some of these issues are unresolved and that we have to put the same emotional and mental labor on our students and um, honestly the burnout with this kind of labor it's real and honestly is like it'll make you question every single thing about yourself like it'll make you question like am I doing the right thing um, how am I benefiting the community? How am I contributing? Like, am I making this a safer space? So it's constantly having those battles in your mind of like, am I doing the right thing? And it's like, by the time I leave, like what's gonna happen? But honestly, I believe um, our native and indigenous community is strong. The numbers are growing. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see what they'll continue to do. Cause I, you know, when I was a freshman and our seniors were leaving, you know, they always expressed to us that like, you know, continue the work that you're doing, you guys can do it. And we have, we've made steps, we've made progress. So, you know, eventually I just hope that these issues are solved so that our students can have a pleasant experience here on campus. I mean, that was always the thing that got me through like a hard week or hard day was like, I'm, I'm going to make things better for the people who come after me. And then having the realization, because I'm still in touch with like Native Student Alliance and uh, the Native community at DU, having the realization that these same stories are still happening. is so, I think disheartening because you think about all the energy that you put into this and trying to make sure that your relatives who came after you are at least partially in a better place and realizing that didn't happen. Um, dark pill to swallow. I asked Grace Carson and Taylor Lucero what they envision for the future of the University of Denver and what they would like to see in place for Native students, along with the retirement of the Pioneer moniker. I feel like the big thing is like having a space on campus, and I don't know actually how much this has changed, but having a space on campus just for Native students where they can like just you know, be together and like not have, you know, you know, not be around other students, but just like have this like safe space. Uh, I know we talked about that a lot and envisioning a future for us. Um, we also just talked about obviously just being heard um, because DU will do a lot of like, oh, we hear you and here's this email, you know, but there's not a lot of like actual action and to, to you know, to show that they actually heard you and like your opinions. Um, yeah, so just having some sort of like decision making, like say, and not even like, I'm not, I don't think we don't think like we should like be able to control everything, but even just like having some sort of say, say in the conversation um, was a huge thing for us. So one of the things, and I believe this was in the recommendations, I believe, but we've been wanting to advocate for a Native American student center. So this would be specific for Native and Indigenous students, staff, or even faculty, 
um, to just come in and, you know, have a place to study, have a place to be around each other and, and have each other's company, um, only because a lot of the times spaces on campus are already taken up and we just want to feel like if we're being honest, like some of our students really go through hell sometimes being on campus as they experience microaggressions, they experience racism. And it's just like, at the end of the day, you know, going back to your dorm room, it, it can be depressing. Sometimes, you know, if like, if that's your only safe space to go, you know, it would just be, you know, more comfortable for our students to have a space, a safe space together. So that way they know that, you know, there are resources and support that is there for them specifically. Um, and especially tying into that, was wanting a space for spiritual healing. And by that, I, I mean like saging that our students like to engage in, um, burning of sweet grass and like just praying. And that's something that hasn't been accommodated for our students, unfortunately, because um, I'm, I'm not sure why, honestly, you know, um, I believe our students have every right to express themselves spiritually. And if they can't do that, in their dorms because they're constantly being harassed at like, oh yeah, you're smoking weed in the dorms when it's like, no, not in fact, but SAGE is super important to native and indigenous people that at the end of the day, we just want a safe and a non-stressful space. And if we can't do that in our dorms, like where can we do that? And a lot of the times like we have to go off campus to do that. And it's like, we shouldn't have to do that. Like if this was such a welcoming community, why aren't these spaces being created? The following episodes of this series will introduce our listeners to the process and limitations of documenting student activism at the University of Denver, as well as the pushback and latent threats that some receive for doing so. This series will also hone in on students who choose to embark on activism to create safer spaces for those with marginalized identities. I encourage you all to listen to each episode as they are interconnected. If you have witnessed the product of student activists, be it the Do Better campaign, Remember X, Clarion Pieces, newly installed prayer spaces, or upcoming video testimonies, then you should know about the process it took to begin these efforts and the backlash and threats that some receive for doing so. I leave you with a teaser of our new episode from our guest, Grace Carson, and hope to see you tuning in to the next following episodes. I think especially my first year is like really isolating because I just had no idea what I got on like every level uh and then my second year was the year I started writing for the clarion um and writing all these opinion pieces and I started getting like threats from alumni and I that was the year I got stalked by one of these like white supremacist students I reported it to DU me and then actually another black uh woman student were getting stalked by this white male person who was I can't remember I know it's uh Right now it's Turning Point USA, but before Turning Point USA, there was another organization. It's like DU for free speech or something. I can't remember what they're called. Um, but anyways, he was part of this like right wing. It was like honestly kind of all right at that point, but had wrote this like really like problematic opinion piece for DU Clarion, basically saying that like like demonizing black women and it was just it was incredibly racist. And we we decided not to report uh, not to you know, put it in our, our, our newspaper just because of the incredible amount of harm it did. Um, and he was obviously upset with that and would stalk me. And he also stalked my other friend. Uh, and 
yeah, it, I went to DU and we, were, we both reported it and DU said they didn't have enough evidence and there was nothing they could do. And then it's like, cool, I, uh, I'm all by myself in this, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I, hopefully I'm safe, I don't know. Um, yeah, we like made safety plans together where either we'd walk together or we'd walk with friends, but we'd never walk alone. Um, same thing for my third year with alumni we had this really big protest at the hockey game um, where we held up this banner that said pioneers uh, stole Indian land and killed Indian and murdered Indian people. Um, threats literally to our face, uh, our faces there. We ended up leaving early because we were getting so many threats and we were so scared. We like locked hands and left uh, for days after that. None of us, like any one of us walk alone because of like the threats we got online, the threats we got to our face. Um, and do you didn't do anything? Um, they said they didn't have the capacity to do anything. Um, I will say this person's name, Damier, Damien Runnard. <laughs> I'm sure you've probably heard his name. He donates a lot to DU. He is my biggest hater or was my biggest hater during my time at DU. Uh, he called my bosses trying to get me fired. He tried to get me off the newspaper several times. He told me, fuck you to my face on Facebook. Uh, again, 19, 20 year old student, just like, just living my life and I'm just like cool um yeah so just like having to deal with that too as a kid you know like these very violent you know facts at this point it's not even microaggressions it's just like threats um and also you know trying to navigate everything else it was just it was it was wild <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of the rage podcast the Rage Podcast is a product of the Interdisciplinary Research Institute for the Study of Inequality, or IRISE. To learn more about what we do, please visit our website at irise.du.edu. To ensure that we can continue to bring you quality content, please be sure to follow or subscribe, like, and share on the platform that you're listening to us on. For Rage updates and opportunities, please be sure to follow our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Rage Podcast, all one word. Again, thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll catch you next time.